Welcome to Earth Tones, a podcast for creative souls and spiritual entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Allison Keslow. This week I had such fun interviewing my next guest on Earth Tones, fellow bassist and new friend Brad Helene. Brad is a fantastic upright and electric bassist and has been one of the busiest working bass players in the Boston area and beyond since the 70s. He has recorded and toured nationally and internationally with the likes of Ministry, Susan Tedeschi, Amy Mann, Roomful of Blues, and countless other great musicians. Brad's bass playing supported many artists who were on major tours, opening for The Police, Culture Club, and Madness, bringing me back to my 80s roots. Brad also recorded with Johnny Winter, and I forgot to ask him about it. I'm a huge fan. One of the first bass lines I ever learned was to rock and roll hoochie coo. I'll have to ask him about it next time. It's inspiring that besides being a great musician who played with so many artists and played on many albums, he is humble and genuinely a nice person who approaches the bass in its purest art form, an instrument of service. His genuine love of music shines through his work. That's why so many artists artists keep hiring him. It takes more than great bass playing to be a busy working musician for so many years. Brad Halim speaks wisdom when he says, you have to keep a beginner's mind and that it's the connection that brings us back to the music. Brad shares a gem with us when he says, practice makes practice and that having a practice is the most important thing as a human being. Here's my conversation with Brad. Hello there. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Hi, Brad. Hey, Allison. How are you? I'm doing awesome. It's so great to meet you. Yeah, you too. You too. Welcome to Earth Tones. (laughs) So it's awesome to have a fellow bass player on the show with me. My pleasure. So, Brad, you've had many, many years of touring, gigs, session work. I was checking out your website, and you say being intuitive helps cultivate one's unique style and voice. And I think this is so true. Um, I agree that intuition is a guiding force that helps us become and continue to be better, better musicians, good musicians. So... Tell us about you. How did you get in, into bass playing and a life of intuitive music? <laughs> oh, it's such a long story. You know, I mean, I'm 64 years old now, so I, and I've been doing it full time since 75, which wow. was uh, the year I graduated high school. I was on the road two weeks after I graduated high school. And, you know, back in those days, every hotel had a lounge, every lounge had a band, and you played five sets a night. Oh. And I did that for three years. And all the music was, you know, it was Earth, Wind & Fire, Average White Band, Stevie Wonder. So, and I was 18. And I was working with people that were in their 30s that were already very established players. And, you know, I, I mean, I got thrown into it. It's, it's a really kind of an interesting story. And it's, it's, it's from a, an era that unfortunately has left us. Yes. It doesn't really exist anymore, you know? So I was, I went to high school in Fairfield, Connecticut. I mean, I I got into music February 9th, 1964. 
changed my life because that was the night the Beatles played in Ned Sullivan and like a zillion other kids, I was transfixed. I was, you know, seven years old and, and that was it, you know, and I went through a period of, I played acoustic bass, you know, in the, in grade school in the junior high school band, you know, pomp and circumstance and all that kind of stuff. And um, I got my first electric bass probably when I was in seventh grade or something like that. What kind of bass did you get? It, it was a Kalamazoo Fender copy. I don't know if you remember Kalamazoo, but they were the original Gibson factory in, in Michigan. Oh, okay. And Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. So, and it was like a white, it was cool. It was like Olympic white with a red tortoise guard. And it was awesome. I had a Sears amp, silver tone amp. Oh, that, that I'm familiar with. And we knew like three songs, you know, or something, but, you know, we just kept playing them over and over and over. Playing in those top 40 bands. I played in three different bands for this agency. And it was called Complex Four out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And shortly before I graduated high school, I walked into the office. I just went there. I didn't even call the guy. His name was Dick Grass. And he was like one of these dudes that was chomping on a cigar with his glasses hanging down over his nose. And I walked in and he just looked up at me and he goes, hey, what can I do for you, kid? And I said, I'm looking for a gig. And he goes, you're looking for a gig? He goes, give me your phone number. He goes, are you any good? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty good. He goes, all right. So I gave my phone number. I went home and about two hours later, I got a call from this guy, DJ, who was a drummer in a band called Old Glory. And he goes, hey, I got your number from Dick Grass. He was from Wethersfield, Connecticut. He goes, he said, you're looking for, you said, you're looking for a job. And I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, are you any good? And I said, yeah, I can, I can play. He goes, well, play me something. I said, what do you mean? Right now on the phone? And he goes, yeah, play me something. So I, I played him the lick to keep playing that rock and roll by Edgar Winter. I played him that and he goes, all right, you got the job. And <laughs> so You needed a bass player. Well, you know, it was just, there was so much work back then. Yeah. You know? It was so much work, but I got thrown into the fire. I mean, he picked me up at two in the morning. My first gig was at the Treadway Motor Inn in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I didn't know any of the material. I got there at like, we got there at 10 in the morning or something and we rehearsed in the afternoon and that was it. So that's the best. You know. And you're so right because uh, people, you know, musicians today, young, young students, they don't have that opportunity to kind of be thrown into the fire. How did you um, prepare for, for these gigs you were doing back then? Well, I think because I spent so much time with my head buried in a record player as a, as a kid, you know, just transcribing lines. Now, I wasn't, you know, I could read a little bit then, but I wasn't really writing stuff down. I just, what I would do, and I, this is still how I learn songs today. Like, there's a great interview with Bill Evans, and they asked him, they said, what are you working on right now? And he said, as little as possible, meaning like two <laughs> bars at a time. You know what I mean? So you take a little bit, you sing it. Because if you can't sing it, you can't play it. You can't really play it. That's you're right. Just, you're just wiggling your fingers, you know? So, and that's what I would do. I just, I would take, you know, little bits at a time. And you know, Allison, you know, after you, after you study, like I, I've studied my favorite players a lot. And so when I hear them, if I hear a song that I don't know that they're playing on, I know what they're playing because I, I, I understand the vocabulary that they use, you that's, know? That's right. And, and as you know, their vocabulary becomes our vocabulary. And, you know, we take their stuff and then we kind of put our own voice on it, you know? So 
And you can't help but do that. I think if you're, you know, really being, you know, true to the spirit of music by just being present, bringing your presence, your life, your art, who you're with, well, who the audience is, what the venue is, what decade it is, all these things come into play. And uh, it's it's so true that you just kind of have to remain open and, and listening is such a big part of it. Mm. And I know that debate goes on and on, you know, do we use a metronome or, you know, if, you know, practice with recordings is is has always been my favorite, and and I've I've definitely practiced with a metronome, um, every day. You know, every day. Drum machine, yeah, every day. Nice. Every day. Yeah, it used to be my best friend for a while. I it was like, I'll just sit here with my metronome, just me and the metronome. But yeah, but you have to know how to use it. I mean, that's the thing. You know, you don't use it with where it's if you're every every click is a quarter note. Put it on, you know. So if you're practicing at 120 BPM, put it on 60. So you're, you got two and four is where the click is, which kind of emulates a snare drum, you know? And then if you play double time, like if you're working on Cherokee or some standard and you want to kick it in fast, you mm -hmm. play double time, then the click all of a sudden is on B3. And, you know, there's just all sorts of different ways to utilize. I, I've been really fortunate, Allison, as I'm sure you have, like so many great players have been so generous to me, you know, with their time and, uh, you know, letting me come over, not yeah. charging me. You grew up in um, Fairfield, and then you moved to Boston. I did. Seventy-eight. So I got off the road playing in those three different top forty bands for that agency, and I'd had enough by seventy-eight. I mean, not only did I I learn a lot about music and stuff, but I also I was drinking a lot, and I mean that just kind of went with the territory. So Part uh, of the I, I went, yeah, and I, I needed to do some other things. So I moved to Boston in seventy-eight. I knew it was either Boston or New York. I knew one person in Boston, nobody in New York. So I came here and then that started, um, you know, I was in a band really shortly after my first gig in Boston was at the paradise with this, wow. this group called pastiche, which, uh, won the, the BCN rock and roll rumble when the whole thing was at the rat. That was 1980. That's so, awesome. yeah. And it's just, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. And, you know, I've, I've lived in New York, I've lived in Chicago, I lived in LA, but I always come back to Boston because, you know, I know so many players here and so many people and I love it here. It's a great city. I, I hear that a lot from one person to this huge community. I actually know exactly what you mean. I grew up in New York and came up uh, in the 90s and stayed, you know, I've been here ever since. And uh, you're so right, so many musician friends and uh, and you've done some pretty some pretty cool gigs and some some cool touring. So so you played with a band called Ministry. I did. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not familiar with that band. You'll have to forgive me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go go down the rabbit hole now. What was that like? Were you playing electric with them? Oh yeah, yeah. So that was I was in a band. After Pastiche, I was in a few different bands, but one of the bands was called Adventure Set. And, you know, we were, you know, this was 80, 80, 81, so 82. So, you know, what was happening at that time was a lot of the European influence was heavy. The Human League, uh, you know, all the punk bands. I mean, and I love all that stuff. I still do. Yeah. I love it. And so we were playing somewhere. And uh, Vince Ely, the drummer for the Psychedelic Furs, and Ian Taylor, who was Roy Thomas Baker's engineer on 
all the Cars recordings and Queen and ACDC. And he's, he's a really talented guy. They came, they had a night out and they, they, had, they came to where we were playing. I forget where it was, might've been on Lansdowne Street or maybe it was The Rat, I can't remember. But they came up to me um, and said, listen, we're producing this band ministry out of Chicago at the car studio, Synchro Sound, and we need to have a couple bass tracks and you seem like you'd be a good fit. Would you come down? I said, of course. So I went down and- Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you were on a gig with some other band? Yeah. Who were you gigging with that night? This this band called Adventure Set. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like I was saying. they And we were kind of like a techno pop type of thing, you know? I was slapping a lot back in those days and everything, because everybody was, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't I, slap now at all. You couldn't oh, pay no, me I'm to not, slap now. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> no. But anyway, so yeah, so they they invited me down, and then um, and and Al really liked me. Al Jorgensen, who's the leader of that band, the main songwriter, and he said, "Hey, you want to join the band?" And I was like, and I dug it. I mean, they then these guys were like, they had a deal with Arista. They were on Arista. They were managed by Lookout Management, which was, you know, at the time had Tom Petty, Joni Mitchell, Devo, The Cars, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. So, I mean, they had everything going for them. And um, so I went to the first rehearsal at the record at the Cambridge Music Complex, which is now gone. It used to be down in Fresh Pond. And um, I walk into the rehearsal and their other bass player was there. Yeah, and it was Amy Mann. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> and till so, Tuesday, right? Pardon me. Uh, till Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. Wow, yeah. wow! And that was early on for her because she was. She was in a band called the Young Snakes. Then it was oh. before Till Tuesday. Oh, so I remember. I remember when her hits were out. Voices uh, carry and all that scary. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and so it was kind of an awkward moment to say the least because I wasn't planning on that and. I felt bad and she she didn't seem to really care too much, but we actually became very, very good friends. And I ended up giving her some lessons and we hung out and I played on her Geffen release on with Stupid and toured with her. I ended up touring with her later on in the 90s. So it, you know, I haven't talked to her for quite a while now. She lives in LA, but I'm sure if we saw each other, it'd be a big hug. She's she's a great person and super talented. But, you know, so that's what happened, you know, and then I joined that band and we um, they were based out of Chicago. So I moved to Chicago. I kept my place here and moved there. And, uh, you know, we played, you know, the band was big. I mean, for a club band, we played thousand to two thousand seat halls on our own. And then we were on the synchronicity tour with the police and we wow. toured with Culture Club, Color by Numbers tour and that band Madness. I don't know if you remember them. I do remember Madness. But wow. it was it was quite a time. Fun. I was spending a lot of time at Synchro Sound, Allison, the, the car studio, because that's what we were working out of. And also the East Coast rep for Lookout was there. So we went there to get paid every week. And as a result of that, I saw Rick and Elliot and all the guys in the cars all the time. And I ended up playing on Elliot's solo record. And I recorded with Iggy Pop. And, and Rick hired me for uh, sessions, you know, so it just kind of, you know, stuff like that happened back then, you know? It doesn't happen anymore. So later you toured with Monster Mike Welch. When was that? Like that mid was mid, like late 90s. I, but I'd known Mike. I mean, he's he's a lot younger than me, and I knew him 
from some jams that I was part of a house band, you know, here and there on Sundays and stuff. And his dad used to bring him around when he was like nine. And he, he already had a killer touch and vibrato and was listening to Albert King and everything, you know, when he was a kid. Yeah, he, he's an incredible musician and just has huge ears. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. And that that led you to so you did some you did some playing with Susan Tedeschi's touring band. Is that right? I did. Yeah. And I, wow. I recorded a record with her that never actually came out. But um, yeah, yeah, That's I was in cool. Sue's band for a couple of years, almost two years. This is a band that I'm familiar with, Room Full of Blues. I've oh, actually yeah. met some of those guys, um, Phil and Ron Levy, and uh, who else? Uh, Mark Early, I know, uh, oh, the, yeah. the sax player. Like, you guys must have did a lot of touring. When I joined that band, we were doing 225 nights a year, and we played, you know, all over the world. Went to Russia a couple times with them, Turkey for three weeks and Europe countless times. Got a Grammy nomination for the first record I did with them. And that I did, then did another record with them. Yeah, and Mark, you mentioned Mark. I, I have a, a jazz quartet called the Even Fall Quartet, which is Joe Barbado. I don't know if you know Sonny, but he's a great piano player. Played with Stanley Tarantine and Roger Humphreys and a ton of guys. And Mark is the tenor player in that group or Arnie Krakowski. We're actually playing tomorrow as a trio. Oh, nice. Where, but, are you playing? Where are you playing tomorrow? We're, we're playing the Trails End Cafe out in uh, Concord. So yeah, just a little, little, little trio Yeah. What keeps drawing you back to music? Well, I think it's really important to have a beginner's mind. I mean, it keeps you humble and, you know, as an artist. And, you know, I, I, I struggle with that. I'm not like some spiritual giant or anything, but but I do believe in how music correlates with being a better person. And, and I also think that, you know, music is challenging. And as Jerry Bigazzi told me one time, he goes, we're never going to get it all in this lifetime. Exactly. You know, so we just do the best we can, you know, a day at a time. And uh, Jerry is big into astrology too. I just, I, that's one of my new passions. Some mm. of it's just in the stars. Yeah. My sister's really into it. She's a yoga teacher. And, uh, oh yeah i love yeah, she's, yoga. yeah she's a very uh established ashtanga teacher her and her husband and they they have a lot of clinics and classes where they live they live in durham north carolina but but anyway yeah i mean what 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 draws me back probably the same thing as you is that you know i'm just constantly you know searching i'm just searching all the time that's right and you know, and, and also, you know, trying to, I mean, just to connect. That's what brings me back is the connection. It's you know, true. Just making that connection to the instrument. And, you know, it takes a long time to, to actually really make that connection and start to really feel it. And I see a lot of players that are really talented and really good that, that kind of give up because it's hard. It's hard work. It's all, it's yeah. always hard work. There's no luck involved. I mean, some people are super gifted and I'm sure, you know, a lot of, I know people that are just, you just like turn on a faucet and it comes out. You That's know? Right. It's like everything. <laughs> yeah. Tapped in. But um, yeah, you know, it's, I'm just hungry to learn still. And, and I, and I really enjoy it. And if you're going to spend so much time doing it, you have to love it. So in a way it's like, the music 
finds you. And um, oh, and Brad, I have to tell you, I just uh, just the other day, I checked out your YouTube video, The Roots of Electric Bass, that's presented uh, by the providers. Yeah, that's a that's a, a group that uh, I'm involved with. I co-produced all of their their songs with my partner, Christopher O'Donnell. And yeah, so it's it's kind of presented by that organization. And so well, that's I tell you, I I love, love, love 60s and 70s music. And I, I'm just like a huge uh, James Jamerson fan. His I have that book. I'm sure every every bass player has this book or they should uh, standing in the shadows of Motown. Yeah, such a great book. Uh, his bass lines are like uh, just they're so um, they're so beautiful in themselves. Uh, of course, it's it may not always be the place for actually, I would say you could take any of his his lines, even just like two measures and just loop it, slow it down, get into it, or even just take a piece of it just to start to uh, understand his vocabulary. It's so rich. Yeah, 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 large vocabulary. So this, well, yeah, without Jameson, there's nobody, as far as I'm concerned, in electric bass. It's really, and even people that don't even know who he is, they're still influenced by him because, because the people that influence them are influenced by Jameson. Like, so if somebody likes John Paul Jones and Led Zeppelin, and they're like, I don't really know who James Jameson is. He, he doesn't really influence me. It's like, no, he does, because John Paul Jones, was his, his vocabulary is a direct lift from all of those guys, Chuck oh. Rainey, Jameson, Tommy Codbill, David Hood. I mean, those guys all, that's the Bible for me of electric bass. Real it really is, yeah. And yeah. it's important to understand your, your roots. It, it really is because I think it gives depth to your playing. It gives soul in a way. It's, it's amazing, I think sometimes, uh, how much we need to be reminded of where the music comes from. You know, uh, I think that awareness uh, just deepens your practice. It makes you want to keep coming back to it. Well, like you said, you got to love it. That's really what it comes down to. You got to love it. You have, you have to love it. You have to love it. You have to be able to take the good days with the bad days. And because if you're really engaged, here's my motto, Allison. Mm -hmm. Practice makes practice. That's what it makes. Mm. Yes, that's all it makes it, it doesn't make perfect it yes. makes practice and having a practice is the most important thing as a human being period i don't care if you're a bass player or whatever you are the practice makes practice and that's that's my that's my mantra i love that that is such a great mantra because when you go back to your practice you naturally have positive feelings and grow. It's when you're away from your practice or you've never really made the time for practice. A lot of the time people feel really kind of down on their playing, but have they really even done any playing? Have they really actually sat down and tried to work on the things their teachers showed them or that they've seen, you know, oh, I wanna be able to do that. Well, there's more resources than ever to, to figure it out. Yeah. And you have to be brave. You have to be brave. You have to be brave. It's not, it's not a cowardly thing to be an artist because it's hard. And there's, there's you know, if, if, you're, if you're sensitive, which I am. Same. 
uh, sometimes, you know, when I'm not having a good night and I'm not playing well, which, you know, for us probably it means it's we're playing OK, but we're not really in the zone like what we love to be. You know, it's you get that feeling of like inadequacy and like, you know, all of those feelings that can make you stop having a practice. And, you know, there's been times, you know, when I just wanted to throw it all out the window, but but I, I didn't, you know, I might have thrown a fit, but I, I you know. It's like that saying, you're not as good as your last gig because it has nothing to do with your ability if you have an off night or you're not gelling, you're not in the zone. A lot of the time it might have something that has nothing to do with your practice. It could be you didn't have a good night's sleep or you're thinking about, you know, what, what you're going to do the next day or what's going on in your life. Uh, for the most part, I feel that uh, whenever you show up to the gig, though, pretty soon you're transformed you're you're like um, you're happy you're you're psyched uh because i think over time you start to if you really stick with it you find your people you find your purpose you find what music is is your is your calling you know all these things but you do it that's so true you have to be brave uh, yeah such good well you know the, and the other thing is like i i work a lot like I probably have had three days off in the last three months or something. Oh, it's, it's just, it's just been insane. And I'm not always playing with musicians that are listening. Not all musicians are listeners, even full-time players. You know, it's, uh, it's so the most important element. It is. I, I know when I, when I talk to younger kid, you know, guys and gals, I'm always like, so what's the most important thing about music? And they're like, Oh, geez. Uh, I don't know. How about oh. listening? listening because even a, a great soloist is always going to make you sound good Allison when you're playing behind them and going to make me sound good like when I play with a great soloist I'm playing at my peak performance because they're making me sound better and you're making they know sound better they understand you know it's not just about us supporting them all the time a good solo supports the rhythm section as well when they're soloing I mean it's it's a beautiful thing you know I mean I I uh that's I love it point. To think yeah. about it that way, that they're making us sound better too. Because we love what we do. Like you have to love playing bass lines and grooves. Like when I find a bass line or groove I love, like I just, I want to stay there. You know, I'm like, oh, I want to just keep doing this. So uh, that's that's so true. You And they make us look good because I don't see myself as a saxophone player, but I love playing with them. So then together, you know, we can create. But having your own personal practice is important too. And it sounds like you have done that. And um, I just uh, wanna end with just saying, you know, so what's up What's up for Brad now? Like what's what's going on? You said you have a couple of gigs coming up. Yeah, let me see. So I got a trio gig tomorrow. I got a couple of gigs this week, a couple of different projects. I'm working with this rock band that I worked with in the eighties and I've reconnected with with them because the singer, songwriter, guitar player is a serious triple threat. His name is Steve Cataldo. He is criminally unknown as a songwriter. I mean, people know who he is, but not enough people. And we are just finishing up a new record and we're playing the Paradise uh, the last Thursday of September, headlining the Paradise with a couple other local Boston acts. And so, you know, yeah, just working. I'm just working, Allison. You know, that's all I'm working. Got some sessions, got gigs um you know what do you got back there in the corner is that a lakeland 
Uh, my base? Oh, that's a yeah. Sadowski. That's it's a what? Base. It's a Sadowski base. Are you oh, it's a Sadowski. Oh, cool. Yes. Yes, it's... Uh, well, Roger does great work. He does great work. Um, I've been playing his basses for probably 20 years. I, I'm kind of a one bass girl, although I'm starting to think that I might want to develop a co collection. Uh, but I, it does everything. So it's, very, it's a very bad disease. It's <laughs> <laughs> if you came to my house, you'd be like, "Oh my god!" But uh, oh, I you know. know. Yeah. I know. Do you know? Do you know Trevor Healy? Do you know Trevor Healy? I don't know Trevor Healy. He's he's makes Healy guitars, and he's in East Hampton, Western Mass. But he was worked for Roger for many many years, and uh, he's a great builder and luthier. Oh, player. nice! I'd like to get to know him. Yeah, he's awesome. So many, so many talented people in this area. Well, sure are. Well, Brad, this has been an absolute pleasure um, talking with you today. Um, so incredibly interesting to hear about your background and inspiring uh, myself to dig into something. As musicians, we always go in different areas. So a couple of couple of things you mentioned, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta go check that out now. So I'm gonna go down a couple rabbit holes. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me. So I, I got a couple questions for you. Are Absolutely. you a full-time full professor at Berkeley? No, I've been teaching in their summer performance program for about five years. So it's a five-week five program. It's the five-week program. Yeah. Uh, we didn't do it in 2020. Or I think actually there might have been a small portion of it online with full-year faculty. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, I've done a couple of really fun things uh, with the base department. Um, in addition to kind of uh, helping them out in the summer for the auditions for five week, I joined them for a 25 base professor weekend of base madness with Victor Wooten and Steve Bailey. So that is one of the highlights of my summer. And I've done a couple of the uh, guitar weeks with the five week, uh, sorry, with the um, guitar faculty. Yeah, yeah. Playing bass, which, is, which yeah. is nice too, because I'm just playing, you know, yeah. they're leading, so I can just kind of enjoy uh, being in the rhythm section. Nice, awesome. Well, thanks again for being here. Great to have you, Brad. All right, Allison, thank you. I hope to see you sometime down the road. Yes, we will, we'll connect. All right. All right. You can find out more about Brad by visiting his website, bradhaleen.com. I will have all the information listed below on where you can contact Brad and find out where he's playing next. Thank you for tuning in to Earth Tones. I'm Allison Keslow. See you next time. Goodbye.